Hey Life Church, Roger here, student director. Uh, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Uh, sorry about my voice, I'm a little under the weather. Uh, if you're a brand new listener, welcome. Be sure to hit that uh, subscribe button. Either way, if you want to participate in what God is doing in this community, in this church, and some of the awesome ways he is moving, you can always feel free to give. Uh, you can do that by heading over to our now page and uh, clicking on the link. We have an awesome message today from Pastor Jared, where he uh, kicks off our 21 Days of Prayer series. Uh, more about that later. But he really uh, does a great job today of unpacking some of the uh, context of historical and cultural religious of what it means to be a high priest and in what ways Jesus has become our high priest. So it's a really cool message, a lot to learn, a lot to think about. Uh, looking forward to uh, you guys listening to it. I'll catch up with you in uh, another way. Enjoy. God, you have been faithful. For some of us, um, even as we stand here or watch this space, that's hard for us to say. It's hard for us to believe. Because as David said, as we look back, there are moments that bring great pain. There are also moments that bring joy. And as we have talked about time and time again, Joy is greater than happiness. Joy is greater than feelings. Joy is greater than our circumstances. And in this world, we will have trouble, but we take heart because you, God, through Christ, have overcome the world, have overcome the darkness. And so, God, we praise you for that. And we anticipate what you continue to do in this year ahead. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may have a seat. Thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. And Happy New Year. Can I say that? Happy New Year. Uh, we hope that it's going to be a happy new year. We're praying for that. Uh, I want to welcome anybody who's watching online as well. Thank you for joining us. There might be some more of you because road conditions aren't the greatest. Those of you who got here safely, we're glad you are here. If you are newer uh, with us, maybe this is your first time or you've been coming a few times, but you haven't yet connected with us, whether you're in person or online, we have a connect card for you to fill out uh, to turn into the Welcome Center so that uh, we can help you take a next step. We can get connected with you. And then if you are watching online, if you have a question about anything you want to connect with us, do that in the comments section. We would be glad to reach out to you and help you take a next step as well. It is a new year. It's January 2nd. Hopefully you had a good holiday with family and friends, perhaps, whatever you got to do, celebrated a good new year. And as it often is the case with the new year, oftentimes people are making resolutions, they're establishing new rhythms or reestablishing some old rhythms and habits that maybe they let go aside. Uh, we're going to do the same thing, uh, and we are establishing or reestablishing Yet another new and healthy rhythm that we have actually done before here at Life Church. We're going to be starting the rhythm of prayer. Uh, we want to start the year off right, and we want to uh, begin this rhythm or reestablish this rhythm that is healthy 
prayer and fasting. We're going to spend a good chunk of time today talking about the prayer portion. We'll talk about fasting a little bit more later on. Uh, But this is what we want to do, to establish a rhythm that is healthy, that is good for us, not just individually, but for us as a body, as a church. So we'll get into that in just a second. But first, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard the phrase, or maybe you've said the phrase yourself, you don't know how good you have it? You don't know how good you have it. And usually it's followed up with uh, back in my day, right? Like you don't know how good you have it back in my day. And you fill in the blank with whatever the thing is that you want to explain. I, I will share what my experience is. Maybe some of you can relate to this and my culture and my background with my parents. My dad or mom would say something like, you don't know how good you have it. Back in my day, we had to walk to school uphill both ways and 10 feet of snow and 30 de- uh, degrees below windshield, you know, all all the other things, and just things that just kept getting more and more made up as they went along. I'm sure they were all true, of course. Uh, Raise your hand for those of you in the room if you've heard your parents or somebody say this to you. Now, raise your hand, be honest, if you said this to people, you know, kids, younger people, yeah, of course. I, I have absolutely done it. I didn't necessarily do the uphill both ways, but why do we do this, right? Like, why do we say these things? Why do the people above us, maybe older than us, wiser than us, say these things to us? Well, it's because we're trying to make a point. They're trying to get you to appreciate what came before, because now things are maybe easier, more efficient, more convenient, whatever it is that they might be, whatever it is the thing that they're talking about. I think about the way that I talk to my kids right now and try to explain to them, like, I grew up in a world where we didn't have the internet. And they look at me like deer in headlights uh, in their face, just like, I don't, what? Like, how? How is that even possible that you would not have the internet? Like, I, I don't get that. Like, they can't, they can't physically, neurologically understand the concept of a world without internet. And, and then you get angry when you're trying to explain this. Like, well, you don't you know how good you have it. You don't appreciate what came before, you know. Like, we can just search something on Google. And they're like, I don't understand why that's even possible. Why is that a thing? And, and sometimes it gets to the point where the person explaining back in my day, right, is actually beginning to long for the days of old, longing for the past, longing for the way it used to be. But then, you know, in the case of the internet, my kids would be like, why would you ever want to go back to that? Why would you ever want to uh, live in such an inefficient, inconvenient kind of way? I think about it even now, especially as it relates to the internet, we actually are able to broadcast this to people who aren't able to be here to hear a message. Like, yeah, of course, we wouldn't want to go back because now there's so much accessibility. There's interconnectivity as well. There's lots of negative things that come with it, but there's certainly lots of positive things. What does any of this have to do with prayer? What does it have to do with prayer? Here's the thing about prayer is that uh, we all come from different backgrounds, different experiences with prayer. And maybe some of you have different ideas about what prayer is. Maybe for some it's like, oh no, prayer is only for holy people. Only holy, special people can do that. Or maybe prayer is just this thing that we do before meals, or it's like a prayer is just the thing that moves us from one transition to the next transition. It's, it's, it's an element of transition. Maybe for some, prayer is the, it's, it only happens in church. That, that's the only place that you uh, do this formal thing called prayer. Or maybe even for some, it's more just like reciting a poem 
poem, like a, like a nice saying. I've had that in times in ministry where people have had no experience with church, and then I've offered to say, hey, can I say a prayer for you? And then when I'm done, they'll say, like, that was really nice. That was like, that was like beautiful poetry. That was really, it's like, no, 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 I, that, that's not what I want you to take away from this. I don't want you to feel like this is some nice artsy uh, recitation that I'm doing. No, this is, this is bigger than that. Prayer is bigger than that. Here's the thing with prayer. The mere fact that you and I get to connect with God through prayer is mind-blowing. Have you ever thought about that? The fact that you and I get to connect with the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God that is holy and just and loving and merciful, the fact that we connect and commune and communicate with this God is absolutely mind-blowing. Here's a reason I say that. For those of us who maybe have grown up in the church, who are used to prayer, maybe over time we kind of just begin to take it for granted a little bit. Like we just, we just pray and we expect that, that God is hearing us, connecting with us, responding to us, healing us, forgiving us. But we have to realize, connecting with God was not always this way. It wasn't always this simple that I could just, whenever I want, just, I could just pray and expect that God is going to communicate with me. It wasn't always that simple. In other words, what I want to say is, back in my day, <laughs> or you don't know how good you have it, more specifically, I would say, if a first century follower of Jesus came to us in 2022, and we were to begin to talk about prayer and connecting with God, they would want to say to us, you don't know how good you have it. Because back in my day, it was quite a bit different. In order to connect with God, it was so much more complex. There was so much more formality to it. You don't understand how good you have it to be able to just pray and know that God is responding to you. In fact, there's a writer in the New Testament. He writes the book of Hebrews. And this is what he says. He has this perfect mixture of, of kind of doing a, you don't know how good you have it, back in my day kind of thing, but also mixing it with, but don't go back to the way things were. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here it is in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. It says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Just a little bit of context here. The writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to a predominantly Jewish Christian crowd. These are people who are, grew up in the Jewish tradition but now have taken on Christ for themselves, but they have also been steeped so much in their rich tradition, their ceremony, their ritual of what it means to be Jewish. And there is a rich, uh, long, deep, weighty heritage to who they are as a people, religiously, economically, politically, everything. There, there's so much into their story that it has, in some ways, influenced the way that they're behaving now. And in fact, it's actually distracting them from the work that Christ has done. And the writer of the Hebrew, the Hebrew letter here is saying, no, 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 don't, don't forget what came before you, but also realize what you have ahead of us. Don't go back to the way things were. No, approach Christ, the great high priest. He is the one that makes this possible. 
And so the reason the author uses the term high priest for Jesus is because for centuries, the way that these first century Jews understood the way in which you connect with God, the way in which you experience healing and forgiveness and reconciliation with the God of the universe was very different than just simply approaching the throne of God in prayer on your own, whenever you want. Their context is so much different than what you and I experience. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, you you need to appreciate what came before you, yes, but don't go back to the way things were. Christ has changed this for us. In fact, the way that they understood it took on a very different look and feel. It was only made possible, connecting with God was only made possible through the function of the priest in the temple. It was a very specific role for the priest, and it was an incredibly formal, extremely important thing with so many layers and symbolism and tradition. It would provide the ultimate, you don't know how good you have it. Back in my day, we had to fill in the blank. All kinds of details. In fact, I'm going to barely scratch the surface to some of the symbolism and rituals that took place in order to experience a connection with God in the ancient world for the Jewish people. But this is rife with so many different kinds of details. It would have gone on and on and on. Remember how I said my dad would say we had to walk to school uphill both ways. It would just, like year after year, more things would get added to it, right? Like at bare feet, and uh, it was 15 feet of snow, and then, you know, the wind was always pushing against it. Like, more and more would get added to it. They could do that here with the writer to the Hebrews here. There, There was just so much detail and formality to what it is that they experienced when they connected with God in the ancient world. In fact, a Hebrew writer's uh, writer goes on to say in chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, he says, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He is the one that presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. He is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That's why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for theirs. So he's going into a little bit of detail about what had happened. Now, he doesn't have to explain all of the detail because this is a crowd that would have understood much of the rich ancient heritage that they would have been used to. So since he doesn't put all of it there, I want to give just a little bit of context for what it is. And I want to say this just one more time, and I'm not going to say it again, I promise. There is so much here that I am barely scratching the surface. I am going to miss some things. But I want to give you an idea of the intensity and the complexity of what took place in order to experience this connection with God for the ancient people. And it is rich with all kinds of tradition. It's, it's like part worship service, part religious theater, part interactive performance art, and there's all kinds of involvement with articles of clothing and the structure of the buildings and how everything is set up. There's so much intentionality and specificity because all of it represented something else in their heritage and in their understanding of God. And so what would take place is what the Hebrew, the author of the Hebrew letter is talking about is this high priest. What would take place is they would select a high priest. Now, you couldn't just pick anybody that you wanted to. This wasn't like you could go to indeed.com and search for a high priest position because they didn't have the internet back then. I know that's hard to understand, but uh, that's going back to the previous joke. Anyway, um, 
They didn't have just anybody being able to go and select an opportunity to be the high priest. This had to be a very specific person from a very specific tribe and family, in a sense, and they had to have no deformities. In other words, they couldn't be blind or deaf or lame or mutilated in their body in any kind of specific way. They had to be a very specific kind of person to be a high priest. Not just any priest, but a high priest. Because the high priest had to represent God on behalf of the people as well as represent the people to God. So this was a very specific function that had to take place. And so no deformities could, could be on their bodies. They had to be blameless in a sense. But the way it would start out on one of their traditions, in order for them to connect with God, uh, every uh, day of the year that would be called the Day of Atonement, in other words, the opportunity to atone for their sin, to be able to be reconciled back to God, there was a very specific process that had to take place. The priest would enter into the temple. They would have to sacrifice a bull for their own sins in order to make them themselves reconciled and connected back to God. Then they would also take with them two goats. Uh, one goat represented what they would call Azazel, or the devil, the Satan, and that would become the scapegoat that would, they would push out into the wilderness and eventually kill and sacrifice. They would also have another goat, and that represented the goat of the Lord, or representing the Lord itself. Then what they would do is the, pre, the, the high priest would, after sacrificing the bull, be able to enter into a specific area of the temple, and having done that, having sacrificed this bull, they would make a, a connection between them and God and make themselves sort of pleasing or acceptable to God. And, and what they would do is they would become, in that sense, glorified because they would put on this white robe and they would, that robe would represent the angel of the Lord. And now they were, in a sense, glorified. They were acceptable. Glorified meaning they had authority and blessing to represent God. This high priest, essentially now, has taken on the role of God, really, they were, they were to represent God, and it was, like I said, it was kind of like performance art. It was like religious theater. Now they were representing the person for God. They were a stand-in for God. So keep that in mind. Now this high priest is essentially representing God. They enter into the Holy of Holies, which is this very special place. It's the innermost part of the temple, the Holy of Holies. It's essentially where God's spirit existed. It was a special place that only the high priest could enter. And so they would go and they would enter into this place and they would be representing God. And just a side note, part of the temple, uh, all of the temple actually has connotation and representation to the creation narrative in the story of Genesis. If you're not familiar with that story, that's entirely okay. But the temple represented their understanding of how God created the world, how God ordered and structured the world. And the first day of creation was represented by the Holy of Holies. So what would happen is if this priest was in this white robe representing God, the next thing for them to do was to step out of the Holy of Holies into the next part of the temple. The Holy of Holies represented the first day in creation. They step out into the next room of the temple. All of that to represent that the next day is happening. Creation is continuing to flow. Redemption is happening. God is continuing to create. 
So all of this has symbolism and, and representation for what God has done in creation and what God is continuing to do. And that's just part of it. So then the next thing is, is uh, after they step into this next section, then what they do is they put on another robe. And they're about to pass through another set of curtains. Now this curtain is called the temple veil. And this veil is made of a very rich, deep fabric, but also the robe that they put on, the second robe that they put on, was made of the exact same material. This material, the robe and the curtains, represented the material world, the fleshly world, the sinful world. So think about this. Think about the imagery of what's happening. The priest, who's representing God, is putting on the world the flesh, and stepping into and through the material world and the flesh. God is entering in to the material world by putting it on himself. Then what happens? As he leaves the temple veil and passes through that area, what he is bringing with him is a blood sacrifice. He's bringing with him the blood of the second goat, the goat that was to represent the Lord. So this priest is playing God. He's a stand-in for God. He has taken on the flesh of the world, the material of the world. He is stepping into the material world along with the blood of God. Again, representation. And then he begins to take the blood and splatter it onto parts of the rest of the temple. Let me pause for just a second. I recognize that some of this, especially if you're newer to church, it's just like, this got really weird really fast. This is not the way I had planned to start off my new year, talking about blood being splattered everywhere. I understand. This is an ancient world who is very, very accustomed to blood sacrifice, in order to understand their connection with the gods. This isn't just the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. This is the whole ancient world that believed in some kind of divine cosmic understanding of how things worked. Sacrificial, a sacrificial system was very common in that world. What made it different is how the Hebrew people understood it. The, the, the pagan world, the ancient world of, of pagan uh, understanding of how the divine world worked is sacrifices were done on behalf of the people to make the gods happy, to make the gods pleased with them so that life could be prosperous for them. The major difference for the Hebrew people is that God has entered into their space and that God is spilling his own blood for the people. Because when God spills his blood, when this priest, who is representing the angel of the Lord, taking on the flesh and the material of the world, stepping into the material and fleshly world, and then spilling his own blood, in a sense, onto the world, what he is signifying is that God has entered into our space, has sacrificed himself so that the people could be reconciled to God. The people can be forgiven. The people can be healed. The people can be connected to God. You see the difference here between the two cultures within the ancient world. 
two different understandings of how God works. All of this is setting up something for the people. This doesn't just end there. Once the people are connected back to God, reconciled back to God, healed, forgiven, all of the pageantry that goes along with this, then it doesn't just stop there. Now that they are reconciled back to God, they too, the people, are given a task to then go and to be a blessing. The priest has been glorified, given authority and blessing to go and to reconcile the people back to God, not so that they can do it all over again, but so that they can take this blessing, they can take this authority, and then they can go and extend it to the world. It's a massive function and expectation and responsibility for the people of God in the ancient world. This is how it was to connect with God in the ancient world. Before Jesus even shows up on the scene, this is a radical way of how God is extending himself to the world and reconciling people to himself. And despite the lack of details that I have been able to express, and some of you are like, that's more detail than I had hoped for today. No, there is so much more to that entire process. But all of this is in order to set up a context so that we begin to understand what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about. You don't know how good you have it. You don't know what it takes to connect With God, you need to appreciate what came before you, but don't go back to the way things used to be. Because now we have a great high priest who has come before us. All of this is to set up a context for understanding what it means that you and I get to connect with the God of the universe. Here's why I say that. Before I get too quickly into what it means for us, we need to talk about what it meant for Jesus. When we get to Jesus, there is this very famous long prayer of Jesus that is often referred to as the priestly prayer of Jesus. It's in John 17. And actually, this is where we're going to be for the rest of the month. We're going to be looking at the priestly prayer of Jesus. And what we will find and what we will see, hopefully is all of the parallels, all of the connections to how the priest functioned in the ancient world in order for the people to connect with God. Little by little, as you read through John 17, you're going to begin to see some of the connections, some of the parallels to how the order and the flow of the priest, what they did, the function that they held in order for people to be connected to God. Except there's one major difference. Now Jesus is the great high priest. Let me show you what I'm talking about in John 17, verses 1 to 8. After saying all these things, what things? Well, before that, he had talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, and then he talked about preparing them for his death for his crucifixion. After saying all of these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And you sent 
sorry, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Let me pause there for just a second. Up to this point, he's talking in the third person. He's talking about himself kind of from a distance using he and your son. Now he switches to the first person. Now he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. Let me just talk about what's going on here for just a moment. I mentioned he starts talking in the third person. Glorify your son so he can give you. This is Jesus praying to God, but talking about himself to God in the third person. It's kind of strange, but then he switches to talking about I. What is he doing here? There is a representation to the priestly function and role that has taken place in the ancient world. The priest starts off by entering into the temple as a man, as a sinful man, but then takes on this robe, makes a sacrifice for himself, for his own sin, in order to be glorified in the presence of God and to take on the person of God and then starts to operate as God as the functions continue to unfold. Jesus is doing the same thing in this prayer. He is talking about this priestly function kind of from a distance, but then begins to pray and say, no, I have brought glory to you. There's a similar pattern to what Jesus is doing, but here's the thing, here's the major caveat, is that Jesus doesn't have to make any sacrifices for his own sin because he never sinned. He lived a sinless, perfect life. But he is taking on this representation of a priest, not just the high priest, but the great high priest, to say, I am now fulfilling this function. I am going to be God. But not all of a sudden be God. I always was God. Here's the key here is that this is the work that they shared before the world began. The Father and the Son are always one, as well as the Spirit. Jesus is this great high priest. He's he's given glory. He talks about glorification. He has to be glorified. In other words, he has to experience this authority and blessing and then extend that authority and blessing to the people. And he will now be the final sacrifice once and for all. There was no more sacrificial system that's going to have to continue beyond him. No, he's now the final sacrifice once and for all. He becomes the blood sacrifice on the cross in just a few hours after this moment, after his prayer. But what he is doing is he is opening up the inner room, the holy of holies, if you will, not to be closed off to just a few select few, but now opened up to the rest of the world to experience. The Holy of Holies is where the Spirit of God rests, but now the Spirit is going to be unleashed 
on to the world, and they say that when Christ was crucified, the temple veil was torn. And God's Spirit rushed out. God's Spirit emerges. And as the Spirit emerges from the Holy of Holies into the next room, into the next part of the world, creation is flowing. New creation is happening. Redemption and renewal will continue to flow because of what Christ now does. There is no more closed-off sections to only a special few group of people, a certain kind of people. It's no longer limited to a particular uh, time and space and room and season and festival. Now, connection to God, interaction with God has been made possible in Jesus through his Holy Spirit. And you and I can connect with God whenever we want. You don't know how good you have it. incredible work that Christ has done. This is the context for the writer of the Hebrews who says, let us come boldly. Boldly. Where? To the throne of our gracious God. This is an area that's not sectioned off for only a few select people to step into. Now, you and I, all of us, have access into the throne room of God, the holy of holies, if you will, to be able to connect with our gracious God, to receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. You don't know how good you have it. But also, the writer is saying, don't go back to the the way things were. Don't go back to some sacrificial system. Don't continue to make blood sacrifices. That's done. We're done with that system. How might that relate to you and I? We don't take part in animal sacrifices and blood sacrifices, but we do have a form where we sort of think in our minds and our hearts and our souls that we have to come to God all cleaned up, that we have to have our stuff figured out that we have to get everything in order, that our prayers have to sound a certain way, otherwise God's not going to hear them, that there has to be a certain formula and order to the way things are in order for God to forgive me, to heal me, to renew me, to do what I want him to do. No, no, no. There's no more system that you have to go back to. Come boldly. Come boldly to the throne of God receive his grace, his mercy. Why? Because that's when he helps us, when we need it the most, not when we've got it all figured out. In the ancient world, they had to come with a priest who had no deformities, no defects of any kind. You are coming to prayer with all kinds of issues, with all kinds of defects, with all kinds of deformities. Come with those defects. Come with those deformities. And that is when God meets you when you need it the most. And here's the thing. This is how we experience new life. Jesus says, the only way to eternal life, the only way to understand eternal life and to receive eternal life is to know God. To know God through Christ. That's the only way. Connection to God through prayer. 
is essential to experiencing eternal life. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to participate in any sacrificial system. You don't have to worry about your deformities. Just come. But then don't stop there. As you and I connect with God, there's a role for us to play. We receive that authority and blessing, in a sense, to then go and take that out into our world. In fact, you were chosen for this. You were tasked with the same function as the priests. Have you ever thought about this? I want to read you a verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. Some of you are thinking right now, like, you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know what I've done. Call me a royal priest? That, that's, that's funny. No, this is what God says about you. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You, my friend, don't know how good you have it. And you have a role to play. You have a function to carry out. You have a task. You have a responsibility that is weighty, that is heavy, but one that God entrusts you with. Go and show the world his goodness. How are we going to do that? Well, specifically, this month, we're dedicating to 21 days of prayer. Our 21 days officially starts next Sunday. We wanted to start to begin to talk about it uh, for those of you who are newer to this church, there's a rhythm that we have with our 21 days of prayer. Some of the things we're going to do are going to be repeats from what we've done before to, again, establish a rhythm. We talk about 21 days as a means to develop a habit of prayer and fasting. Fasting is just simply deciding to say no to something that has become maybe somewhat idolatrous, somewhat of a dependency, whether it's something to do with food or shopping or money or whatever it is that gets in the way of us remembering our dependence on Christ. We spend a season fasting, depriving ourselves, not to be all weak and feeble and tired, but no, to extend our understanding that I must rely on God. I need God for my sustenance, for my life. Some of you may feel called, may feel invited into that kind of fasting. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But we are going to start this 21 days of prayer starting next Sunday. We're going to do a couple things. We're going to have our Sunday evenings uh, dedicated to an hour of prayer. If you can make it in person, and uh, we'll do the best we can to keep everybody updated as, as COVID continues to throw us curveballs, but that's what we're starting with right now is we are dedicating Sunday nights from 6.30 to 7.30 to come together in person, and you can join us online to pray and to worship and to set our hearts and our minds on what God is doing in our midst, to be unified, to trust that God continues to move among us. We're also going to provide tools for you to also have prayer times uh, whether it's by yourself or with a small group, a life group. Right now, if you look on our now page, uh, lifechurchcanton.org slash now, you have access to a booklet 
a devotional that can guide you through prayer and help, uh, help you to understand a little bit more about the different kinds of prayer as well that have happened over centuries of church history. I want to invite you to grow and develop your understanding of prayer. Now, I mentioned you can do it by yourself or you can do it with a group. If you're like, I'm not part of a group, we're going to be talking about groups in just a couple of weeks and get you in, uh, plugged into a group so that you can begin to join in community and pray together with a group. Also, I want to invite you to dedicate yourself to reading John 17 several times throughout this month, reading this priestly prayer of Jesus. What are the kinds of things that Jesus prays about? Wouldn't you want to know how Jesus connects to the Father? And if our call is to become more like Jesus, wouldn't you want to begin to copy the behaviors and the prayers of Jesus? Devote time and energy in John 17 this month. And then lastly, we're going to have prayer cards each of the Sunday nights. And we'll provide them uh, in our lobby as well on Sunday mornings when you come. And if you have a prayer request for anything that's going on in your life, whether it be a request of something that is hard, a hardship, a challenge of some kind, or something that you just want to thank God for, you want to experience joy, write it down on one of these prayer cards and you can turn them in. We're going to continue to pray for these things on those Sunday nights. This is what we want to do for this month. And here's what I think is cool. Me and Nathan were talking about this is we're, we, we didn't necessarily plan this, but it just kind of worked out this way. We, we're spending this month, January, in a series called 21 Days of Prayer. We are devoting ourselves as a church to the habit of praying and fasting. Next month in February, what we're going to be doing as a church is presenting our 10-year vision, the vision that we have been praying over for the better part of a year as a leadership team and staff and going over. We've met with our partners, talking through this vision that we feel God has put on our hearts and our minds, our souls, to now present to the church and to carry it forward for the next 10 years. That's a big deal. It's a big task. And so we get to spend this month preparing our hearts, positioning ourselves in such a way to receive this vision that God has for us and then to carry that through for the next 10 years. We're going to need this month of prayer. We're going to need it so that our hearts are softened to what God has in store for us. As I've been talking about this idea of connecting with God, maybe some of you are in the room watching online, and you have never felt any kind of connection to God. Maybe you've never even said a prayer in your life. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. You don't know that he is your great high priest or your mediator between you and God. And if that's you, I want to invite you to invite that connection into your life, to invite the person of Jesus into your life to find mercy, to find grace when you need it the most. And here's the thing, you don't have to get all cleaned up, you don't have to say all the right words, but just come boldly. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. And you can maybe just repeat some of the things that I say in your own words, in your own heart, or if there's something that God lays on your heart that you want to pray, to call out to God, to invite Jesus into your life 
to experience eternal life that starts today. I want to invite you to pray with me as well. God, you are faithful. And there are some of us in the room watching online and it feels like a big risk to trust that that you're even here, that you're even with me, that you would even respond to me. But God, today I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to take that risk. And I'm going to trust that you're hearing me. I need mercy. I need your grace. I have not lived the perfect life. And I never will live a perfect life. But you have. And you do. And so I want to invite you into my life. I want to follow you. I want to begin to live into the experience of eternal life. Help me, Jesus. If that's a prayer that you just prayed for the first time, I want to celebrate with you. I'd love to know about it. If you have one of those Connect cards, uh, that's a really helpful way that you can help us know about that so that we can help you take a next step. We can get you plugged in to community so that you're not living this life alone. You're not doing this journey by yourself. It was never meant to be done alone. Let's do this thing together. What I want to do is I want to just spend a moment in prayer right now. Uh, What we're doing for this month, uh, for the foreseeable future, is we're suspending our upfront prayer time just for now as we can uh, just be mindful of COVID and what it's doing. And so what we're going to do now, though, is I want to invite you all to participate in a time of prayer. We're just going to be silent. We're going to wait on God. We're going to invite his... Holy Spirit, to reveal God to us, maybe in new ways. And then in just a moment, David's going to lead us in another song of worship. And so take this moment. If you need to just close your eyes again, if you need to put your hands out, whatever it is that you need to do, take time to connect with God. Let's do that together. Enjoyed that message. Uh, like I said, there were just so much.
much there that he unpacked and so much that hopefully, uh, you know, for you to think about the process when you think about uh, Jesus as your high priest. But so great. Um, most importantly, uh, this is the kickoff, like Pastor Jared said, to our 21 Days of Prayer series. We're going to be doing a lot to pray together as a community. One of the things he mentioned this week was praying together on Sunday nights at our church building. So come be a part of that. Um, and more will come out as we forward in this series and you'll hear more ways to participate prayerfully in this community uh, so looking forward to that um, but if you need prayer for anything anything at all uh, whether uh, for celebration or even if you are going through some difficult uh, things at times as many of us are be sure to reach out we're here to pray with you for you as a community we want you to belong we'd love to do that so please reach out either personally um, you can fill out a connect card on our now page but uh, we're here for you Hope you have a great week. Hope it's full of joy uh, and celebration, whatever else God has in store for you, uh, in whatever ways He is moving in this community. We look forward to seeing you again next week.